You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily podcast on the Minnesota Timberwolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm here with a challenger. Dane Moore coming in, challenging me red hot with with a bet that he thinks that I'm too scared to take and and maybe gonna gonna wear off over the weekend. No, sir, I'm, I'm gonna take every bet that I have a chance to. <laughs> we're we're not turning this into ESPN first take. I'm gonna hang up. <laughs> no, no, this is still good old fashioned locked on wolves like the people are used to. But we do have an OKC. Uh, for, for legal purposes, I was advised by a lawyer actually over the weekend. For legal purposes, we're going to call it a wager. Uh, and we're uh. going gonna to have a wager at the, end of the, at the end of the podcast. But right now, we have a lot to talk about. The, the Wolves won a, I, I think it was a, it's fair to say it was a decided game, a, a fairly easily decided game. The Wolves won. Uh, it never really felt like after the first quarter like it was in, ever in question. Obviously, after you score 33-14 to 14 in the first quarter, most of those games turn out not to be ones that come into question often. But the Wolves had a dominant game, and I want to attribute a lot of it to the three-point shooting of Towns and Teague. What are your first impressions coming off of that win against Utah on the road? you're going to say I wanted to attribute a lot of it to the three-point shooting of Ricky Rubio because <laughs> that that was maybe more to blame than uh than Carl Towns or anything geez Teague did not guard him the whole game and just dared him to shoot I think Rubio finished 0 of 6 from the from the field yep. and that was uh he was 0 of 6 was from three-point and 1 of 7 with three points on the game oh, gosh not a not a good day for the uh, the Ricky Rubio versus Jeff Teague truthers, uh, which is sometimes me. So I'm not even I'm not even ripping on those people. But uh, but he didn't he didn't look good, and uh, Towns came out hot right away. I think that uh, has been something that the Wolves have been looking for is is Towns coming out and hitting threes at the beginning of the game. I just really feel like that opens up so much more for the the Timberwolves. Uh, kind of going forward, if he can have, if he can hit one or two threes in the first quarter, I think that is that is uh, huge. I'm going to attribute this win in large part to uh, our editor Tim Fakeless because we saw over the weekend that uh, his article about Teague having a rough start was liked by Teague himself on Facebook, and then he went out and he said, "You know what? I don't need assists this game. Butler can have all the assists. I'm going out and getting 22 points. I'm going to shoot 57% from downtown. He had four or four made threes out of seven. He had 46% he was shooting from the field. He went out and scored." And I think I think it was inspired because of Tim's great article. <laughs> I think that was Mitchell's article, but uh, but the, the was it actually? Stand, oh my goodness! No, no, it, it's all good. I I think uh, I think you're totally onto something. The Timberwolves are definitely reading zone coverage every day. That, that's what's happening. <laughs> oh, I think I think that goes without saying. Well, who, whoever wrote, I'm gonna have to check my my sources, but it, whether it was Tim or Mitch, whoever did a good job because. Teague was a huge part of this game offensively. And then I wanted to get your thoughts on Butler not only putting up 21 points, but he was the main facilitator in this game. I don't think you want to see it on a nightly basis, but how comfortable are you with this offense that can switch out between Teague and and Butler and have different guys become the primary facilitator on the offense? Well, I'll, I'll touch on that Butler thing. I just want to spiral back to Teague really quick. And and one thing that has just been obviously the Teague versus Rubio conversation has 
I don't know if it's interesting anymore. It might be annoying, but uh, <laughs> but it is it is a, a perpetual narrative over the the course of this year. And I I go back to to media day um, before the the season started today, and I actually got to, to ask Jeff Teague a question at media day, just kind of about you know comparing and contrasting his game uh, with with Ricky Rubio and and kind of what it what it means to be to be replacing him and. It was it was clear right away that that was an annoying question to, <laughs> to Jeff Teague and and his response was something uh, along the lines of I I understand I'm I'm replacing Ricky Rubio I hear that every day no literally I hear that every day it was was his response so I I think I think there was a certain fu mentality to uh, to Teague yesterday and in, in taking that out taking it out a little bit on on Ricky Rubio and he he certainly dominated. That game, the point guard matchup for sure, and and we have seen Teague do that. Um, I don't know, maybe four or five times this year, and and also that that's huge to be able to have uh, a point guard that can not only distribute but also but also score. And to your to your Butler point is is it's good to see Teague be able to uh, perform off ball because Butler has clearly made it a point to be. Uh, more of a distributor this year. He did. He had uh, ten assists again last night, and he consistently looks to distribute. I think almost to a frustrating point. There's just times when he he gets into the lane and he will kick it out to Taj Gibson for a corner three, and I just would rather that Butler would go up and shoot that himself. But it, it, it's a point of emphasis um, this season with Butler clearly to to involve uh, the, the players around him. And it, it's going to be interesting to see if, if defenses start to view him differently and kind of uh, begin to help less around him, knowing that he is looking to find cutters and, and shooters out on the wing. It's, it, it's just totally, it's totally different than, than the Jimmy Butler we saw play last year in, in Chicago and going to be kind of a fascinating thing to, to watch vacillate over the course of the season. Well, that's a big credit to him, too, that he's in the course of one offseason able to mold his game to the new team that he's in. And already we're, we're noticing that in huge in huge portions of game that he's been molded to this almost new player. I think that's a huge credit to just Butler and the versatility he has as a player. It's, it's really interesting to the psychology of it all. To, to come into a new team and and be kind of crowned the the star and the savior and the, the basically the guy that's going to bring the Timberwolves back to to the playoffs and then to immediately take a step back is, for for the good of the team is, is really a, an interesting uh, yeah just a <laughs> psychoanalysis of Butler to say that says I am I'm here to win and I'm not here for myself and. I think that, well, that that that's huge, uh, especially playing alongside two other very young, um, not as mature stars in Wiggins and Towns. Who I don't necessarily think, obviously they want to win, but don't buy into that mentality as much. To have to have Butler be looking to get them more involved than himself is, I think, is kind of brilliant and something something I I didn't expect because. Had Butler came in and been the exact same player he was in Chicago last year, inevitably Towns or Wiggins would have fallen to the wayside. And it, it's interesting to think about 
had had Wiggins or Towns taken this lower usage, we probably would have been more critical of them and the, the player they are than with Butler, where it seems that fans or analysts are more are more willing to say, wow, good job, Jimmy Butler, for, for taking a back seat. It's, it's funny how our, our criticisms and thoughts can kind of change player to player uh, based on, I don't know, the goodwill that Jimmy Butler has accrued over over his his time in the league, uh, what 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 are your thoughts, Colton, on on where where Butler's been been going so far this year? Well, to your point about coming in, it's just so interesting too from the psychological standpoint. The difference between coming into Minnesota versus coming into Butler from Marquette and getting demoted and getting less minutes and having to prove himself off the bench, and now he comes into Minnesota and he's just the guy right away. Everybody just assumes he's the primary leader and he has to jump right into that leadership role as the number one guy. It is really a fascinating study in the comparisons of kind of the two big trajectory points of his career where they've jumped off from right i totally agree it's it's shocking to, to kind of go back and look at the first couple of years of of butler's career and how how low those numbers are how how little time he did receive and and factor in that that tom thibodeau was his coach those those jumping off points you've talked about are have thibodeau as a as a key player in in, in both of those and that kind of it's it just continues to make more sense to me why Butler specifically was such a point of emphasis for Thibodeau because he knew that that Butler was this type of player who would do whatever the team needed um, to to achieve to achieve greatness. And that's not to say there haven't been issues with Butler. Uh, I think his season has been by no means perfect. There has been times where him being more aggressive, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I think would would benefit the team, but it's it's also important to remember how early this team is in the process of the season. We're just 13 games in, so yeah, it's going to be a fast again. It's just like four times a fascinating thing to kind of track over the course of the year. No, it it really will be, and we're gonna just like last week. We're gonna get into some X's and O's with you later on in the podcast. But there was a couple other things I wanted to touch on. First of all, uh, one of the things that has I've noticed. Do you think that Taj Gibson is not long to this world as far as starting roles? I was just looking at numbers, and I've been looking at the no. numbers over the last couple of weeks, and it just you, – you mentioned how you want to see Butler more aggressive, and maybe sometimes when he's passing it off to a guy, maybe he should have gone, gone right to the rim and scored – it, some of that, it seems like, is because when he passes it into the corner, for some reason, Taj Gibson is in the corner, and that's just not the guy who's going to shoot a three. And nothing against Taj Gibson. I think he's a great vet. I think he's a great locker room presence. But I don't know if I want him playing 39 minutes. Just looking, just if you take this game alone, Bielitsa had a third of the minutes that that Gibson had, and he had five points and four rebounds. So if you're giving him uh, at least maybe even 25, 28 minutes, you, I'm, I'm pretty sure you see those numbers go up to about 10 and 10, pretty close to there. And I think I'd really rather have Bielitsa in the corner when he's getting a, when somebody's getting a, a pass from Butler as opposed to Taj Gibson. Well, I think the, the very important aspect and devil's advocate of that argument is the, the defender that Nemanja Bielitsa is. And, he particularly cannot move his feet on the perimeter to stay to stay with anyone. He's just very, very slow laterally, and and that that's a that's a big 
obviously a big issue. And with where this team is, is we know that offense is less so the issue. So the question becomes, does a couple more, uh, does a couple more threes from Bielitsa in place of Gibson supersede the value of Gibson's defense on every single possession? And my answer to that is no. Um, the minutes, maybe there could be more of a, a balance between the two of them, but it, it's I the starting lineup thing. It, it just it, it's not going to happen. Um, he, he's going to he's going to stay in in the starting lineup. And, and my personal opinion is is that is a that is a good idea. And if the Wolves want to find more minutes for Bielitsa. That's possible, but but not in a not in a starting role. I think it's per, particularly important to remember the. Uh, the type of player he's been the previous two years as well. He started off very hot. He's been very good, but Bielitsa is not a, a starting caliber power forward, in my opinion. No, you're right. You're definitely on a, on a team that the struggles on the defensive side, not the offensive side. You don't want to put him in too early. It might be one of those things too, where you're just kind of waiting out for Butler or not Butler for Wiggins and Towns to get better on defense. So then, if you're going to have a liability, then it's at Bielitsa and you have a scorer who's a defensive liability instead of pairing another defensive liability with Wiggins and Towns. And it's one of those waiting games as well. Uh, I would just, I would just like to see him, like you said, maybe play even if it's only 20 minutes a game. If he's able to shoot five threes a game I'd really rather see that than two threes from Taj Gibson even if he does shoot like he did last night even if he does make half of those two shots I'd still rather see Bielitsa hitting a or at least throwing up a couple more threes and given giving the the offense a little more stretch to it the when you talk about Bielitsa in the corner and I don't think that that would happen if he were if he were to be playing in place of Gibson if he were to just take all those minutes what kind of leads Gibson to be the corner three shooter is that he operates in like the the dunker spot which is just kind of on the baseline about 12 feet away from the hoop and kind of floats in that area for a lot of the a lot of the time and then on drives kind of steps back to the to the corner three and that's where we've been talking about Butler kicking it to him for threes if you watch the areas in which Bielitsa operates it's much more uh, often that they're running kind of the horn sets with Bielitsa up at the at the elbow, and then he's kind of flaring out most often to the above-the-break three. And so the majority of Bielitsa's three-pointers are coming from above the break, and it would it would be very different and, I think, hurtful to the offense to have Bielitsa being playing in the dunker spot because, well, he's not as good of an offensive rebounder and not, not as quick of a the quick twitch dunker specifically and, and getting the ball dropped off to him there so it's just I think it's just important to remember that in ways Bielitsa and Gibson are very much apples and oranges while they're both still power forwards no that's a that's a fair point too and like, like you're saying we'll we'll see a lot of this ironed out I feel like over the last or over the next month as well just as this offense continues to grow together uh, a couple other things from the Utah Jazz game I think that they did a really good job. The Wolves did. Uh, their offense by or defense, excuse me, by no means is is perfect or even close to where I think Thibodeau and Butler want it to be. But as far as the way they played the Jazz, obviously with Golbear out, it, that's a, a bonus for the Timberwolves. But they did a good job of really letting Donovan Mitchell and Rodney Hood have their shots and have their 
their runs and not really panic and force them to try and be the guys to beat them and not give up a ton to other guys around them. You had guys like Cephalosha, he had uh, 13, uh, Drebko had 13, but other th- there wasn't another a third guy who was really hurting them offensively, I felt like, throughout the entire game. And so it feels like there's a couple of these games maybe one every week where they just go in and they're like, okay, these two guys are going to have – they did this against the Pelicans. These two guys are going to have really solid nights, and as long as we don't let the anybody else on the team really damage us throughout the entirety of the game, we're going to be okay. And so that when Donovan Mitchell has a solid run or when Rodney Hood hits a couple shots, they don't panic and try and double-team him and then leave a guy wide open. In the case of Ricky Rubio, maybe they would have been fine leaving him wide open the whole game. But their defense seems to have molded into the state where they can they can put bandages on situations headed into a game without without bleeding out because the defense is still very much in a, in a transition process. What did you think of their defense against the Jazz? Well, I, I think to that point, you talk about the, the Pelicans are maybe the, the starkest example of this, where they have two excellent options, and then it is a, a chasm before you <laughs> find a another player who is, is solid. And, and the Jazz, particularly or particularly after the Gobert injury, kind of profile is that as well as just have not really having a plethora of offensive options. And, I mean, Joe Ingles didn't score yesterday that was kind of uh shocking but they're just not as good of a team so my my point is is i don't know how well those band-aids you're talking about are going to work when you're playing against a team that has more than two scorers like a uh, hood and mitchell uh so there'll be a lot of regular season games that that those band-aids will work for but you play a team like the warriors or you play a team that is kind of in that maybe upper echelon of the league top 10 those teams are much more well-rounded and deep and they have scorers kind of at all levels. So I don't know if this is going to necessarily work and maybe it'll boost the defensive rating a bit when, uh, when the wolves are playing inferior teams, but I don't know if that is necessarily going to work in the, the macro scale. Well, yeah, I, sh- I, maybe I should preface this better, but as as long as their defense is growing and this isn't the plan for the entire year this right. is this can this can work for the next couple months as they're figuring stuff out and like i was saying gobert it definitely helps that he was out but at the same time it is good to see Donovan Mitchell looked really good for especially for like 10 10 15 minute runs during this game he looked really really great and there wasn't really a panic from the Timberwolves, it didn't really feel like there was any point where they were panicking. And again, the the Jazz are less just overall talent. They have less of it on the team than the Timberwolves. But you see sometimes teams will try and overcompensate for a player doing really well, and that leaves a bunch of other guys open, and that gets a couple other shooters hot. And there just didn't seem like there was a, a, a run during the game where the Timberwolves were really panicking to and scrambling to try and cover up defensive inefficiencies by by overcompensating and, and overcovering a, a player, you know what I'm saying? Where maybe the yeah. the band aid is enough to get them through the next couple months. Right. I guess my my bigger question is is how what happens when you take that band aid off? Like is is your suggestion that thing that under the surface things are going to get better? They're going to understand the system more. Uh, the my the my hope of 
My hope is yeah, that Wiggins and Towns wake up defensively sometime before January. That's I guess that maybe I'm just hinging too much on them growing as defenders. But my hope is that at some point when the games are getting are growing more and more in their importance as we grow close to the playoffs, my hope is that Wiggins and Towns grow into better defenders or even even just average defenders would be great. I think Wiggins is getting close to that, or what we've seen in 13 games is Wiggins has really started to profile as that. I'm, I don't know if it perfectly bears out in, in the statistics, but I test it's, it's completely different. Uh, he's, he's clearly far more engaged um, on, on the defensive end, off ball. We've, we've seen that, and you can say that bears out in, in deflections and steals. But kind of the, the thing I'm most excited about his defense is like beating his man to the spot in penetration and kind of cutting off penetration in that way is is huge. I mean, to, to stop the initial action and force them to swing the ball is, is something that was the expectation of Wiggins. He was going to be the lengthy, fast defender that could, that could be that quote-unquote defensive stopper. And there, there's been times where that has been more prevalent this season. And I, I think that's a good sign. Another thing kind of related to this, and it also shows up on the offensive end, is Wiggins is playing much stronger. And defensively, when he's, he's beating his man to the spot, he's not getting bumped off of it. And also then on offense, that kind of shows up too in, in being able to go through defenders and finish stronger at the rim, not not really floating. And I, I don't know, he said he only put on five pounds in the offseason, but his strength, whether or not that bears out in pounds seems to have really shown up in, in the way that we've watched him play. Obviously, Towns, I think there's a lot more defensive issues there, but it's also, Towns is in a much harder defensive position as a, the drop man in the pick and roll than kind of the defensive role that, that Wiggins plays. So I think that the Towns process will be longer than, than the Wiggins process. And I'm not expecting them to be – at their ceilings at the end of this year, I just want them to be better. And you're you're right, Wiggins has looked better. And the other night, he only had uh, 11 points, but he he managed two steals, a couple blocks. He he got four rebounds and four assists. He was doing other stuff. He's he's definitely engaged to the point where if he's not scoring 20 points, it doesn't seem like it's going to hurt the team a huge amount like it did last season. So, and obviously you have Butler, so that changes things. But it it definitely. It definitely he's growing more than Towns has at this point, and you're right, Towns is in a harder spot, and I just want to see him be a little bit better by by December. And I I think that's the hope, and in, in theory that that seems to to make sense. I think it's going to be a, a gradual, a very gradual process with Towns. Uh, it's 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 a learning process. He has he has these instincts that he relies on. That take him out of take him out of position, or he he uh, Haralabis Vulgaris described it as Towns looks like a cat chasing a, a laser pointer <laughs> on, on on defense, and I kind of like that analogy. And I think to some extent, there's that's always going to kind of be in Towns. He's just a little bit erratic and uh, and and kind of loses his head from time to time, but. I think that the goal is is to to minimize that by one percent, by one percent, by one percent every game. And in theory, I think that could bring him up to a, a league average style uh, defender. But I, I, he's not he's not there yet. He does have the physical tools, though. We we do know that. 
Alrighty, so we're going to get to a, a wager at the end of this podcast, but first I wanted to talk a little bit X's and O's with Dane. Uh, what were what were some of the things you saw over the course of the game, over the course of the weekend? We haven't talked in a little while about the Timberwolves basketball. What are some X's and O's things you really liked, maybe some things you really had a problem with? Uh, just, a, just a couple pointers for the fans to get that in-depth look at the Timberwolves and the way they've been playing. Well, I, I just think last night the the funniest. Thing, I don't even know if this falls into the X and O's box, but the the way they guarded the way they guarded Rubio was uh, almost almost comical in just not not guarding him at all, and then being able to essentially go five on four on the rest of the team. That's obviously a boon uh, a boon for the defense. But I guess more specifically, I've just I've continued to love to watch Wiggins off ball and the actions around Butler. It's been a little perplexing that he's he stopped shooting threes as much and, and looked to to penetrate. I think I'd like to find a little more of a of a middle ground there. But but yeah, that that's been good. I I don't know. I mean, a, a specific like playset or is there a specific player? I don't know that you're, you're thinking of. I really like you bringing up the Rubio thing just because that makes me. It almost is like they were before the game were like, all right. We're going to prove everything that every fan has ever said about Rubio and not being able to shoot the open jumper. We're going to prove that tonight. And they left him open for most of the game, and he couldn't he couldn't knock down a three all game long. It was it was a little comical, especially since he's on the Jazz now, not not playing for the Timberwolves. So I, I had uh, someone, someone from the Timberwolves text me last night during the game and say, do you think it's mean the way in which the Timberwolves are uh, – are guarding Rubio and I, I mean the the term mean. Uh, I was like mean. What does that mean? And I, I don't know. So what would your question? What would your answer to be to that, Colton? Do you think I, it was mean the way I would doing it? Maybe it falls in the same category, but I would I would classify it as taunting. I would definitely classify it as taunting. <laughs> if this was a football field, the Timberwolves would have been flagged. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think it was uh, I, I think it was Teague, and, and we kind of already talked about this this earlier earlier on. But he, I think he kind of has this personal vendetta against Rubio, which is which is probably warranted and and frustrating to him as a player who's gone to the playoffs every year of his career, made an All Star team, yada yada yada. It, it's frustrating for him to have kind of heard the notion that him and Rubio are the same caliber point guard when Rubio's resume outside of the advanced metric column on uh, basketball reference is, is really a lot thinner than the Teague. So I, I, I mean, it, it's hard to know how much these, these players hear and how much they want to kind of prove it wrong. But, but last night really seemed to be uh, an example of that. And I also think another one with Teague that proved to be an example of that was against, was against Kemba Walker a couple of weeks ago, who was a guy that he was also similarly categorized with in his, his days in the Eastern conference. Teague has done really well against Kemba Walker too. Was another thing that I pulled out of the the Hornets game when I, they, yeah. the broadcasters were mentioning, and I was looking back at some stats. Is Teague has always played pretty well against Kemba Walker, which is which is good because you want your point guard to do well against other solid point guards. Which is weird because I think the single thing Jeff Teague is worst at at basketball is is carding a a pick and roll ball handler, and Kemba Walker is. Wait, Kemba Walker likes pick and rolls. What? <laughs> what? I, well, he's, he's the, the breaking news. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. He, he he played very he played very well against him. I do think we're we're doing a lot of complimenting of Teague, and and there is 
he's very Wigginsian uh, sometimes on defense with his hands down or seeming uh, disengaged from from time to time. There's pretty much a a clip from every game where you can just see Teague not really uh, doing anything or just kind of standing flat-footed and turning and his man back cutting or getting flaring open for a three. So I think he's a pretty uh, a key piece in this defense kind of rebounding or jumping up to the, the league average line that that we were talking about as well well we we can't be too critical of any of the timberwolves now we got them liking our our articles and they're coming on shows they basically they basically run everything over here now so we, we gotta be careful what we say i'm just kidding objective We've, reporting as always from zone coverage and from locked up wolves yeah yeah so, jamal crawford i, I gotta I'm, I'm never gonna be objective with it <laughs> <I was, laughs> that guy was the man but he, you know what actually he, he is a he struggled defensively too, and but that that kind of always been unknown with him, and the, the hope is that he makes up for it on the offensive end and in the intangible uh, leadership, whatever you want to call that category. But but that that that's kind of I guess if you want to say uh, an issue I've seen is I, I don't know how how many minutes a game the Wolves can handle with Crawford and Muhammad both out on the floor at the same time. They're just both pretty brutal defensively and kind of the, the same player on offense at the same time. So it would, I, I think the, the larger picture is is more staggering would be a staggering of the starters with the bench would, would be a good thing. There's just been so much of this, this hockey subs, I think they call it where it's five mm-hmm. in five out or four, one yesterday, only nine players played because Jang was out again. But I, I, I think that would be a good thing to make a a, a bigger to, to take more time each game to have Towns or Wiggins or Butler out there with the bench rather than just just trying to uh, you know band aid together seven eight minutes at a time with the bench out there. I know that's easier kind of said than done, but uh, I, I, I do think it's possible specifically when you have four very high usage offensive players in Towns Wiggins. Butler and Teague, you, you'd think that that would maybe come together more, but it's it's the learning process, and he's feeling on his team, Thibodeau, that is. So kind of kind of figuring it all out still. Absolutely. All right, we, we've, we've waited long enough. Let's get to what this show is really about. We have a wager that's going to go down between you and I. Uh, you did not like my comments on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Also, I, uh, I heard that somebody – uh, from Tim's tribe, didn't like that I called them Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City <laughs> Thunder. I want to make sure everybody's happy. Uh, OKC, you didn't like my assessment of how they played throughout the first two or three weeks, and that I was calling for more Paul George. Uh, so why why don't you, do you want to explain, or do you want me to explain what's what's going on between us uh, for those who haven't listened to it on Wolves Wired? Well, I okay. So this this was kind of thing that I was you know. Is, Focusing a little too much on the Paul George that that played against the Timberwolves in those two games, which, to be fair, is two of their thirteen games, and probably at the time was like two of their eleven games. And he was he played off ball more, and there's certainly an isolation element to that to that team. But bigger picture with the Thunder, I'm willing to be uh, more patient in kind of that that gelling process, as we like to say, and uh, the the Thunder will. I do think the Thunder will will come back and be that wind fourth, maybe fifth seed in the Western Conference. I think just talent kind of supersedes 
in uh, super seeds all in the Western Conference. I know the Western Conference is very good, but if they can find a a little more uh, flow on their offense, and I think your point was astute that it's been probably too much iso ball, uh, that, that team just has the offensive firepower and defensive firepower to be very, very good. Yeah, so basically I was I had a take on Paul George and and you were you were you're disagreeing with me. And you know what? To to be fair, uh I haven't watched a ton of Thunder. I I did watch more than the two games, so you hurt my feelings a little bit there, but uh no. <laughs> I uh I watched more than two games, but you were right. So what I did over the weekend actually, like a psychopath, I didn't watch any Sunday football. I didn't watch uh, I watched the college games, but I woke up early on Saturday morning, and I have wa- now watched every single Oklahoma City Thunder game that has happened this year on uh, wow. on League Pass. I've watched all of them, and wow. I have deduced that I was very correct. Uh, that <laughs> I am, uh, I'm really good at my job, and that the Thunder were playing a ton of isolation ball, especially in the first three weeks. Now, I, I will say, over the last weekend, over the last, uh, I w- I would say three or four games, it's gotten a lot better. Uh, Paul George has been featured a lot more in the offense, and but early on there was mostly him setting setting screens for Russell Westbrook, and especially in fourth quarters, him and Anthony would get into this isolation zone. Now, mm-hmm. when the bet when the bet was when the wager was issued, you wanted me to take another team, and my the team I wanted to take was the L.A. Clippers in that four spot instead of the the Thunder, and have them drop maybe to the to the fifth spot and in that time frame over the what was what has it been a week they've lost i think three of their four games so the, <laughs> they haven't exactly impressed either at the Fair. same time and now granted this is a a huge a huge if but at the same time if griffin can stay healthy throughout the course of a season I really do like the roster on them, especially because they've had for the last week and a half or so, uh, Patrick Beverly and uh, Gallinari have been both out. If we, they can get both those players back and they have their full offensive uh, offensive yeah. arsenal in play, I really do love that roster around a healthy Blake Griffin. So I am going to take the wager still, and I'm going to take – LA, I had them at the fifth spot going into the season. I'm going to take them at four, and I'm going to say that as the as the games get tighter, I think December we're due. December to January, we're due for a story where Carmel Anthony comes out and says, "I'm tired of Paul George getting all the all the shots and Russell Westbrook taking the shots. I, I'm an All Star player, deserve more shots than this." I think we're due for some controversy on that team with the way that those players are built. And Paul George just wants to win games. Uh, Russell Westbrook uh, wants to be Terminator mode and Carl. Carmelo Anthony wants to be ISO ISO hoodie mellow. So I think we're due for some locker room trouble. I think we're due for some trouble in fourth quarters down the stretch going towards the playoffs. So I'm I'm still going to take the Clippers, and we're going to have a season-long bet now. And I've become a Clipper degenerate fan because I stayed up until 1 o'clock last night watching their game against Philadelphia. And so you've turned me into a monster, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Okay, I have I have a couple of a couple questions and some some clarifications. Well, first of all, I want to clarify that the Thunder have a better record than the Clippers right now. They so. do, which is a real bummer for me because going into the when you first issued the wager, the the Clippers were the one with the better record, and then they've just had an awful week since then. But the world is trying to tell me to stay away from this gamble, and uh, I I would you can't I'm going to turn it down because I I never can turn down a good a good bet a good season long bet. 
Okay, a couple things with the Thunder, and this is the thing I think that stuck out to me most when you were talking with Tim on the pod was was your you're saying that that Paul George's role had been marginalized or minimalized or, or something along those lines, and I just think it's kind of interesting and in that he has the most field goal attempts on the team, the most points per game, and he's shooting the best from the field and in every area on the team. So I I think. Westbrook and Mello are these bigger names, but when you kind of look at what's bearing out here in the first 13 games, it's almost like Paul George is the the statistical alpha on that team. I don't think any team can have someone else be the alpha over Westbrook, but I, I just don't know if he, he's necessarily being marginalized and he's he's getting his. If anyone is kind of being marginalized, it seems like Westbrook, obviously, in comparison to last season. Well, first of all, he did average a triple-double last season. So basically anything that he does with two All-Stars is going to seem like he's taking a, a step back, uh, I would, right, I would say. But as from someone who's watched the entire first four and a half weeks of the Thunder season in a weekend, I would say <laughs> I would say I, I lost a lot of friendships over the weekend, by the way, because of you. So that's uh, ignored a lot of people. Uh and so I, uh, I would say that over, and you're right. He has looked a lot. The team in general has looked a lot better over the last week, week and a half. But in the first few weeks of the season, their offense was uncreative. And I'm speaking, a heavy majority of this is in the second half, fourth quarter of games, where the when the team tightens up, it's really Westbrook and Carmel Anthony Hurd almost demanding the shots and pulling them away from Paul George. If this, if they flip the script and Paul George is continues to take a bunch of shots, because really you're seeing kind of like on the Wolves, Butler is helping the offense of Wiggins because he's getting the number one defender. You're seeing that with George, but George is a multi-time all-star and has been on uh, Olympic teams and is worlds apart from Wiggins just as he's already hit his ceiling and he's a really good established player and now he's getting less attention than he was in Indiana and he is thriving. So if you see him, especially late in games, taking over and Westbrook just feeding him the ball, this team could be maybe even top three. So if if everything goes the way I wanted it to last, the other week, then I could be in real trouble. But I really feel like the isolation ball will just kicking a, kick in as an instinct for Westbrook and Carmel Anthony come playoff stretch time. I see. I think it's you're you're right in that isolation style or tightening up the offense or just the kind of the general way in which the Thunder play is not it's not poetic and it's not it's not, not fun a great to watch style either. of basketball. Yeah, I, I, and I I agree with that too. The thing is, is how much tighter is this season than last season? I, I would I would argue it, it's more open up. There's just inherently by having a third option out there, offensively. I mean, relevantly, the third option last year was Taj Gibson on that team down the you know down down the stretch of of last season. And so I don't understand really how this Thunder team could be equal to what they were last season. I, I understand there's the locker room dynamic and all that and that and that, I, but I largely kind of think that stuff's speculative. Um, I, I just I don't really understand how they can't improve upon the team they were last year, and I, I'm just a huge Paul George believer, so I'm kind of believing that they, they uh, kind of supersede and stay in that top tier of the West. So I have the Oklahoma City Thunder finishing – in, above the Los Angeles Clippers 
in the Western Conference. Is that is that what our bet is officially? That is what the bet is. We will off air where I can stay away from problems of uh, <laughs> the legal variety. And since I'm on campus right now, I'm going to stay away from that as well. Off air, we'll figure out uh, a specific a specific amount amount to go along with our wager. But there will be a, a type of currency involved as well. Uh, and yeah, and to just to kind of wrap this up. You're. I think we've seen both versions of the Thunder over the last what has it been a month, a month and a, a week or so. Uh, I think we've seen both versions. So the first three weeks, it was the version I was talking about where they kind of ignore Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony ignore a little bit that they have a third All Star on their team, especially right. late in games. And then the last week, especially Paul getting Paul George involved in the offense, particularly in the fourth quarter, has made them a very destructive team. So now, really, just. Which which way will the instinct of the team fall into versus where they know they should be as a team? Where will that play out through the course of the season? And now we have a a wager to go along with it to make it even more interesting. Well, there you go. There is the wager between Dane and I going forward, headed throughout the rest of the season. We'll be keeping you updated on that as well as continually updating you on all things Timberwolves as this has been another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.